This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Missed y'all. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. Hadn't spoken to you since last year, and it's good to be back. Episode 147 of the Clay Young Show podcast is here with you on podcast 225.com. This week's show, the first of 2018, is going to focus on Baton Rouge, a little bit about last year and what went on through the year for the city, also the expectations for 2018, and we're going to talk with two members of the city and parish council Dwight Hudson and Lamont Cole, who will both be here live in studio, and we will talk with them about everything from economic development to infrastructure to crime, which was a very big issue last year, as as most of you know. Some of the numbers are, I mean, shocking, disappointing, whatever you want to say, and we get into that. To really let you in on it, I'm recording this open after we have had the conversation, and I can tell you that you will enjoy it. Our discussion is more than an hour long, and they speak honestly and candidly, extremely candidly, about every issue we discussed, which would be on that list that I just ran off to you. And I just think you're going to be enlightened by what you hear. Now, I can tell you, I've known both these gentlemen for a very long time. I consider them uh, both people who have a heart for serving the public and their specific constituencies, and they disagree on in some areas and on some things, but where they can absolutely find agreement, and you will hear that, is on doing what's best for Baton Rouge overall, and I just it, it was a very candid conversation. And like I said, it's there's a lot of good information in it. You're going to learn some of the inside baseball of what was happening with a few things and then hear their perspective on all those things that I mentioned and the hiring of the new police chief and what their expectations are of him and of the Baton Rouge Police Depart- Department. So, again, it's a good conversation. I'm excited to have you hear it. Uh, so I'll say this really quickly. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR and on Facebook, backslash ClayYoung. Share this discussion with friends of yours. Let them know what's going on. And uh, we'll take a quick break and come back with Councilman Lamont Cole and Dwight Hudson here on the Clay Young Show. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get the Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial and online where, Harrison? At brianlowefinancial.com. That's the new senior partner at B-Lowe There you go. He's taking over one day. (laughs) Let's talk about cash, Brian, for people who are thinking about what to do and they're watching the market. What's your recommendation? Well, look, everybody knows the market's high. Yeah. It's made a great return last year. A lot of you sat on the sideline and didn't make that and you're Mm -hmm. kicking yourself now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're wondering, should you now dip some of that money 
and put it into the investments in yeah. the market. Yeah. The question is, look, we've gotten 10% return on cash. Mm-hmm. So if you think the market's high and you still want to wait for a while for this market to correct, we can make a good return on your cash. Now, we're not going to guarantee it's 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's linked to some index. It's 100% liquid. But you know, if we make it something better than money market rate and make three to five, yeah. look, all these people, they all forget I said that to beat the bank. Yeah. Well, they made 10%. It wasn't a growth investment. It was a liquid account that made better return on your money. Give me a call. Call Brian today or look him up at brianlowfinancial.com. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with two members of the Baton Rouge Metro Council, uh, two good guys uh, whom I've known for a very long time. Councilman Lamont Cole representing Council District Number Seven, and Councilman Dwight Hudson representing Council District Number Nine. Happy New Year, guys! Hey, how you doing? Happy New Year to you as well. It's Year, it's interesting. Um, we'll talk, jump right into it. Talk about last year. When you think about 2017 for Baton Rouge, both of you, what's the phrase, word, thought that comes to mind? Slow paced. Slow paced. I guess for me, the, the 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 thoughts come to mind. The thought that does come to mind is uh, change. Okay, a Elaborate. lot changed in, in 2017. We had our first uh, African American female mayor take mm-hmm. office. Uh, a lot changed in the city after 2016 as a result of. Uh, the Alton Sterling shooting, the police mm-hmm. shootings, yeah. the Great Flood. Yeah, uh, a lot changed in the city. A lot changed in the city as a result of a national electing of a, of a new president. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot changed uh, in in the city of Baton Rouge uh, after twenty seven. I mean, after twenty sixteen. So right. twenty seventeen, a lot changed. And I think for a lot of us in the community, it was um, interesting to get our minds wrapped around the changes. Mm-hmm. How do we move forward? Uh, based on the elections and then based on everything happening uh, in 2016, how did we move forward? So a lot changed, and then it was um, a year of adjustments as well based on those things having happened prior to. So, What do you say to that? Yeah, I, I say slow-paced because there was quite a bit that we wanted to get accomplished that I, I think we missed the mark on. Um, for instance? Uh, for instance, you know, in, in my district where we're seeing a lot of development, we wanted to get some of those changes made in the UDC uh put some protections in for flood control and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, we're getting close. I think we'll do it within the first six months of, of 2018. Um, but we didn't, we didn't hit the mark in 2017. Uh, certainly we wanted to get, you know, crime under control. We missed that mark. Yeah. We wanted to make some changes with the council on aging and things like that. And I think we missed that mark. So, um, well, you know, a lot that we've got to uh, we've got to come back around to in 2018 and, and do a better job with. Let's take these one by one. Let's start first with, Economic development as a city, looking at last year, you know, the, that's a big engine for any community when people are working and they have disposable income that returns in the way that the government gets tax revenue, which, you know, will determine what the city is able to do in terms of infrastructure, quality of life and all of that. When you look back at 2017, what was the biggest economic development win that you can say you noticed any, at any point during the year. An economic development win. Yes. Uh, we did not have any serious economic okay. development wins uh, in 2017. Okay. Um, you know, we had small economic development all over the city, grocery mm-hmm. stores, sure. uh, some local businesses were mm-hmm. able to 
open, but a huge economic development win, I don't think we had one in 2017, as far as I can remember. Dwight? I don't know about a large one that's going to be sort of a, a, a bellwether, um, but there certainly were some instances where we did some good things. Local businesses expanding, um, you know, attracting something like Top Golf, I think, is a, is a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, is that huge? No. No, it's not huge, but it's, it's a good thing for our, our parish. Um, we saw expansions um, with um, um, tin roof, yeah. things like that. So I, I think those are good signs. Those are local businesses growing. Uh, certainly, we're seeing that as far as development goes. We're, we're seeing that you know throughout the parish, um, or at least throughout the south part of the parish. So that's a good thing. Um, but no, I, I don't think we had a we didn't have a, a big bellwether type of economic development event. What about losses? Any big loss, a big opportunity missed because of whatever reason. And you you both are privy to opportunities that Baton Rouge is up for that may not become public if we don't either make it into the running as a city or if we don't get it because you know how it goes in a city. You're competing for something. It doesn't happen. But when you look back and you say, boy, this would have been great, but we didn't get it done. And well, I think policy-wise on economic development, the one thing that we, we did not get done was uh, ITEP. Uh, and that, that's going to have a huge impact on uh, economic development. Now explain to, to people listening what that is. Yeah, so ITEP is the Industrial Tax Exemption, exemption Policy. Um, essentially, the, the governor, through an executive order, uh, has moved the authority for ITEP down to the locals, which makes sense. It's a good thing that Governor mm-hmm. John Bell Edwards did that. Right. Um, it's our local dollars, so yep. the, the municipality should have control over it. Yep. Uh, but it has created a, quite a bit of confusion because it's this this great big new responsibility that the municipality has never dealt with before. And so we're walking through that process now, um, trying to get together sort of the, uh, the framework for how the exemptions get granted, uh, that kind of thing, and... and uh, Right now, it's still unclear, and that's okay. unfortunate for businesses, especially important businesses like in the manufacturing sector. They need to have a clear path forward. If they're going to make the investment in this community, uh, they want to know that when they invest those dollars, uh, that the exemption is going to be there and that it's a, it's a, you know, a guaranteed thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want guesswork you know, coming 10, to, 10 years down the road. So. What are you saying? Losses. Losses in, in, in 2017. I think anytime we miss an opportunity to expand economic development in an area that has been underserved mm-hmm. for about the past 15 years, North of Florida Boulevard is a loss. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, crime and economic development kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. where you see a lot of economic development happening, you don't see a lot of crime. Where sure. you see a lot of crime, you don't see a lot of economic development. It's interesting uh, that we've seen an increase in, in, in homicide rates in the city of Baton Rouge in 2017, and we saw decreases in the type of economic development that happened in those areas where crime is taking place or yeah. within a five-mile radius of yeah. where crime takes place. I think if we look at the city of Baton Rouge, oftentimes economic development could be happening two miles away sure. from where a lot of crime takes place. So it's not a proximity uh, problem as much as it's a... Uh, identity problem or a, you know when you think about the areas or the neighborhoods where the crime is taking place and then you look around and see in a, within a five mile radius there is no economic development no mm-hmm. entertainment mm-hmm. no hospitals there are no quality public schools in the area what's left what is there left for those uh, residents who live in those areas to do uh, and then you see uh, the flood happen and then mm-hmm. you see uh, 
turmoil in the city taking place. Yeah. You know, we're suffering. One of the big losses is that we did not approve uh, the mental health facility that we were trying to approve in the, in the city. Yeah. Uh, we That tax did not pass in 2017. And so that was a huge loss. Yeah. Uh, because I think so many people in our community are suffering from PTSD after yeah. living in a city that went through so much. Yeah. And um, I think that is a direct contributor to some of the things we we're seeing, some of the crime we're seeing. Some people have some serious yeah. mental health issues that have not been identified. And, and I think that that's a problem across the state. You're, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. I think that that is a very underserved population. And I had a conversation with Sheriff Gotro about this mm-hmm. early last year. And he said, you know, it's tough because you have someone that we take off the streets who has a mental illness and we are so hesitant to put them in general population because they're back there because they, they most likely need to be in a mental health facility and not in some penal institute. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll circle my way back around to that. You brought up North Baton Rouge and the northern part of East Baton Rouge mm-hmm. Parish. And it's been a it's been a discussion for some time. In my opinion, so rarely is the discussion held in an intellectual civil way. Mm-hmm. It's always bomb throwing on either side. So you never can get around to solutions because it becomes so personal that people are not interested in arguing the merits of the discussion. Now it's me defending myself personally against the other person. Mm-hmm. So having you two here, whom I both like and respect, and, and you both on the council, this gives us an opportunity to talk about that. Mm-hmm. What are some, and, and because you represent a part of North Baton Rouge, mm-hmm not only as a councilman, but also as an educator. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've taught some kids who are now adults with kids. Mm -hmm. And Dwight, you've been involved in, you know, talking about what's common sense tax uh, strategy for East Baton Rouge. What's economic development that's accountable and sensible and, 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 you know, fair to both the government and the people. In your opinion, there is no doubt that we need to do something in the northern part of the parish. It's just, you can't argue the point. If you had to begin somewhere and your suggestion is this is a place that we can feasibly, reasonably start, where would it be? And I'll ask you first because you, you District 7 represents a big swath of that area. Corner of Choctaw and Plank across from the CVS is where I would start. I would okay. pick that block. I would look to put a grocery store at that corner simply because of all the traffic going north and south, east and west, coming in and out of the city okay. from Zachary and Baker, okay. coming in to do business, coming from downtown, headed out to the, the, the southern and eastern parts of the city. Okay. There's a lot of those are two major thoroughfares in the city, Plank Road, mm-hmm. four lane, Choctaw is four lanes, right? Mm-hmm. You see a lot of traffic going by a business, a grocery store on that corner could and would thrive and then that could be the economic engine for that 10 blocks in that area going north south east and west i think what happens is you have to have an anchor project in uh particular areas for about 10 blocks a 10 block radius you have to have so we have a cvs on one corner Mm -hmm. you have an auto zone on the other corner and those two in Businesses are frequently visited by people all the time. Because there's nothing else really right there. On the opposite corner, there is a family dollar. No, no. I mean, in terms of other businesses. No, no, yeah, that's there's, it. there's nothing else that's there. That's it. There's a driving school about two blocks further up on, right. Chalk, on, on Plank. Yeah. But right there on that corner, mm-hmm. when you think about, uh, let's think about the corner of Jefferson Highway and corporate where it turns into. Yes. Uh, uh, what is that? In the Bocage area. In the yeah. Bocage. Yeah. That corner. Mm-hmm. There's a CVS. Yeah. There's a Walgreens. Yes. There's a Whole Foods. Yes. There's a restaurant. Well, there's Town Center right there, so yeah. there's a whole lot but in there. just on that corner, yeah. you, you have, you know, There's Madeline's. an Enterprise car car, uh, car place there. There's Where's a little further back. There's a mattress space actually on the corner right there. Yeah. 
But when you, when you see those those drugstores on those corners in every part of this city, those areas are typically where you see an economic development happen for blocks going north, south, east, and west. Okay. You pick another corner of the city where think about on the corner of government and 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 North Foster. Yes. There's a Walgreens. Across there's a CVS. Yes. There's a pawn shop on that corner. Yeah. There, there are three drugstores on that corner right. right there. And then when you look around, you see economic development happening. Now, that's just me using those as an example to say wherever there's a drugstore, people who live near those areas are going to frequent those those drugstores. Mm-hmm. If you anchor that with other businesses, and particularly in North Baton Rouge, we need a healthy food option sure. because it's a, a food desert. Sure. A grocery store would win right there, in my opinion. So I, I want to come back to, I want you to talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of attracting. Like, how would you put that together? But first, I want to ask you, what do you think about what, what Lamont said? Well, so... So I would take a little bit different approach, um, and and my approach would actually come from the meeting I attended in Councilman Cole's district. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was actually in early January uh, of last year, and so um, I went to that meeting, just sat in the back, and just wanted to listen. Uh, and what I found was that folks in his district sounded almost identical to the folks in my district. For folks that don't know, <laughs> isn't I, that I amazing? Mm-hmm. I represent the far southeast part right. of, of East Baton Rouge Parish. Um, and, and by and large, the things that they were asking questions about dealt with uh, basically the fundamental sort of essential services of government. Uh, so I think we've got to do a better job of focusing on the nuts and bolts types uh, or nuts and bolts functions of municipal government here in East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a look at our budget. There is a, a whole lot that we do that is really great, but it's not nuts and bolts. It's not essential government services. Uh, and so I think that if we go back and we, we get back to the fundamentals, sort of like in football, you, you, you focus on your uh, running your routes and, and tackling, you know, doing good tackling, those kind of things. Uh, if we focus on those things, uh, instead of trying to incentivize certain areas, uh, do all these specialty tax incentive programs and that kind of thing, uh, if we'll focus on those basic services uh, – take as little bit of uh, tax money out of our local economy as we can, uh, we will be able to do a, a great deal economic but, but, development but, but what? But with what he's saying, with what Lamont is saying, uh, Councilman Cole is saying about a, doing that, but specifically attracting a business there, putting something there that has the potential to generate revenue for the owner of the business, maybe provide employment for people who live in the area at the business, but also... Uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, put at least it shows some faith that a company would have in moving to that part of the parish, you know. But what specifically about that? And and so before before you answer that, let me circle back around to you about it. What's the how? Okay, when you're saying we want a grocery store there, what's your how? Well, I think first step in my mind would be to assemble a group of individuals who. Uh, can pull together some revenue, investors, some, finances, some investors. Okay, and I'm talking about local people who okay. live in the community, sure. who would be willing to pull their resources together to the tune of about a hundred thousand to start with. Okay, you have to come to the table with sure. something. Either you come with property, or you come yeah. with finances, yeah. so that you can say to an investor, "Look, we already have the property, we okay. own it, or we have a hundred thousand dollars worth of seed money that we're going to put up." Right. I think investors need to know that there's going to be uh, some protection first of the business, and then uh, an earning opportunities for them to make revenue right so i think you do that and i think there are people who live in the area who are willing to 
do that if, in fact, they knew we could work with a, an associated grocery or we could work with a Rouse's or we could work with a Whole Foods. What kind of protection, though, when you say protection? Safe. Oh, you mean they're going to be safe? Yes, yeah, okay. Uh, law enforcement. Law, okay. Well, yeah. well they're, they're, not so much community safety. Because, see, community safety is different from law enforcement okay. safety. Most of the time where you see businesses in depressed areas thriving, it's because the community has decided not here, not now, not this location, Okay, I got you. So that's, that's accountability of the people who live in the exactly. area. That's fantastic, and okay? So there are so many people who live in the area who want that. Okay. They, they, and are willing to participate in that process. They need to be engaged. And okay. we have to do a better job. I'm thinking of engaging the community and having conversations with potential business owners. I've taken a ride through the district with Whitney Bank. I've taken a ride through the district with private investors to show them or get lay out the vision for them. And that's typically what they've said to me. We need to know that there are members of this community who want the who same thing. Who will put skin in the game. And who will put skin in the game. Yeah. And who will come to the table with some assets so that we, if we make the investment, the community stands to lose just as much as we stand to lose. Okay. We don't want to come here, invest in this community, and then lose. Right. We want to come Because here, that's a fear. That's a fear. That's a huge fear. Because I mean, pe- but that's, pra- that's, that's just good business practice. Sure. But when yeah. someone opens a brick and mortar, anything mm-hmm. in a place, they want to know that the place is not going to be robbed on the right. regular, that, that their people are not going to be assaulted. In terms of customers you deal with, hey, you know, it's a crapshoot. You, you can be in any part of any community, right. wealthy or poor, and have a-holes who come in who just, you know, they are what they are. But- you know, to what to your point with now, what do you think about what he has said up to this point so far? Well, I think what he's saying so far is great. Um, but it sounds like what he's saying is, you know, private sector, private individuals, locals in the community doing that kind of thing. Man, that's that's fantastic. And it sounds like the location he's talking about. I mean, that's exactly what his district needs. Yep. I know I know Lamont knows his district really I passed well. Passed it a so. few days ago, mm-hmm. so yeah, I yeah. know it absolutely um, does. But what now? At what point but, do you, as a representative, uh, I'm sorry, go go well, ahead. Well, no, I just want to make the point that. Uh, you know, you, you, you brought up, you asked the question, what does he mean by safe? And so what I thought he was saying at first was essentially the municipality making guarantees mm-hmm. uh, to the business owner. Uh, it's sort of the discussion we're having right now uh, where folks have, have brought up the idea of um, essentially municipal loans for grocery stores. Um, I have some concerns about that. You know, I, I don't know that the taxpayer needs to be on the hook uh, for private enterprise like that. Well, y'all so. talk us through this, this this discussion that's going on mm-hmm. about that for the perspective of people listening. What would that look like? Well, that simply would be us proposing an incentive tax to businesses who want to invest in an area or a tax incentive, correct? But that would be at the expense of the taxpayer, which at times can be beneficial depending upon where it is and at other times not so much. Mm-hmm. I, but I think the, for me and, and based on what I'm hearing from my constituents, just to give you an example, uh, back in October I hosted a blight meeting right in District 7 simply because we have some issues with blight and, and those issues increased after the, the flood. We held the blight meeting and I invited members of uh, the mayor's office to come out and hear the concerns of the constituents. Mm-hmm. Over 200 people showed up from the community highly upset and of course they were upset with me because I'm the council person representing the district and they want me to do something about it but what I wanted the mayor's office to see is that people care about where they live they care about their community and they don't want to live in a community where there's blighted property they don't want to live in a community where uh 
criminal activity is taking place as a result of homeowners not doing their part and then the city not holding the homeowners accountable through our condemnation process, through our adjudication process. Mm -hmm. So once that happened, it took on a life of its own. The mayor uh, created her own blight initiative to to address it. Uh, We started to see... individuals from the city in partnership with other community organizations come out and begin to address those issues. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen until we change the narrative that people don't care about where they live. Right. So showing that they simply cared about where they live was one. I think a business owner who's looking to invest and make money needs to know that the community cares and the community is going to do their part in right. protecting your interests. Sure. We're going to first we're going to visit the store, mm-hmm. we're going to patronize it, we're going to make sure people don't hang out. Communities can police themselves the mm-hmm. best. Communities can police themselves. It's always much best better when it's that way. Than police departments. Yeah. And I think what we what, what what we have to do is engage communities, particularly the one I, I the part of the district that I represent in a way where they understand, listen, here, this is what we want to bring to the community and here's what we need from you. And then have a very robust conversation about what it looks like and then put some skin in the game, have some investors who are willing to. I've talked to a few, the Joseph Delpits of the world, Mm -hmm. the Collis Tempests of the world. They're willing to make the investment. You know, members of my own individual family are Mm -hmm. willing to make the investment as best they can to see something like that happen. Okay. The only thing I'll, I'll, he's exactly right. The only thing I'll add to that is that Lamont's not giving himself enough credit on the issue. Uh, he never, <laughs> no, he never really does. I'm, you know, there was something he did in December that I was so impressed with, but I'm going to work he, my way around. He and Councilman that. Watson have done an exceptional job yeah. on uh, some of these blight issues that we yeah. have. I, I have, I can think of maybe three or four really bad blight issues mm-hmm. in my district. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine what you know. I, I see the I see the condemnation list come up every month. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine if I was having to deal with that many. So I, I just applaud him and, and Councilman Watson for all they're doing on that exceptional job. When going back to this this issue and the passion that pours out about North Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. um, and you you talked about one area, one something you can do it. Do you believe people are realistic? specifically in North Baton Rouge, about what possibilities exist? You know, I don't know that they know how to be realistic about it for this reason. We're following a formula, and if you look at the history of the city, once at one time the cry was economic development in the southeastern part of the city, economic development. When you start even thinking about areas like Bocage or areas like Town Center, they didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. Right. Did not exist. It was all land. Perkins Row either. Tr- yeah. Did not exist. Yeah. So you heard that cry. Before Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, you heard a cry about development in the southeastern part of the region. We started to see that happen. Then there was a cry, we need development, development in downtown. Downtown is dead. We have nothing in downtown to do. Uh, in the 1960s and 70s, we had Catfish Town, and it was thriving. It was booming. We had Woolworths downtown. Mm-hmm. It was thriving. It was booming. Then every the development went away. Development started moving out to the southeastern part of the parish, southeastern part of the city. And then once you hear the cry, as the old saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Southeastern started getting the development. And then it moved, worked its way back around to downtown because mm-hmm. people were saying there's no development, no development, no development. So we started to see the development downtown. Now the cry is North Baton Rouge. If we remember correctly, when I in 1980, 
when I was seven years old in 1980, we had dealerships on Plank Road and Scenic mm-hmm. Highway. Southern University had a population of about 14,000 students. Mm-hmm. We had grocery stores. Mm-hmm. I could think of about six grocery stores mm-hmm. in the northern part of the parish. And then all that started to change when the shift and the cry was, let's move it out to the southeastern part. So it goes in cycles. I think what we have to start talking about is balance. How do we balance the city, the economic development, the conversations in a way, working with the chamber, working with other entities in the city, the redevelopment district, uh, being led by Chris Tyson now? How do we do that in a way where there's balance Okay. so that everybody's having a similar conversation? No, I think he's exactly right. I think balance is a, is a great goal to, to go for. Uh, and look, I, I believe the way you get there is you, you let the market decide. Yeah. Uh, so you focus, again, on those basic nuts and bolts functions yeah. of municipal government yeah. and let the market decide where the development goes. Well, because there's not going to be, at this point, a Perkins Row or a town center in North Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Rooftops and a household income isn't there to support right. it. And thing, developments like that have moved here and been okay here because people in the northern part of the parish have been comfortable driving out mm-hmm. this way. So I don't think, and, and this is just my opinion as a you know, business guy, I don't think balance to me is a Perkins row here. So let's get one over there. No, no, no. That's not the balance. So balance in my opinion is discussion about what opportunities exist and Mm -hmm. attacking it by showing people, okay, based upon this household income and this number of rooftops and this percentage of transportation, either based on car ownership or the transit system can circle these people in this area to Mm -hmm. your business, which will generate X amount of income. For me, I don't need as much security from the government if I know that I'm going to be able to cover my nut Mm -hmm. every day, every week, every Mm -hmm. month, every quarter, every year based upon those analytics. Do we provide that for different industries and businesses to say, hey, we've done the eco study for you. We've done the demographic analysis for you. The numbers prove that if you put this here, it'll win. Mm -hmm. Have we done that? No, I don't. I, I mean, I, we, we've not done And I'm that. not putting it just on y'all. Right. I mean, in the last 10, 15 years, has it been done for there, businesses? There's a wealth of data available for economic development purposes uh, at BR, brgov.com. Uh, you can go to our GIS maps and get a, a wealth of data. Um, but know. who's doing the recruiting? As a business and you want me, you have to woo me. Why should I woo you unless it's in an area that oh, I'm crowding I, to get I, I'm in? Sorry, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And so the chamber. The chamber okay. does an excellent job. Okay. Okay. And, and I think, you know, those conversations, when we start talking about economic development and the recruitment of businesses to uh, come to the city, mm-hmm. have to be had in a balanced way. Right. right. And so when you start having those conversations, there has to be an investment. Mm-hmm. I think some of what we recognize is, as you said, rooftops and a household median income play a, a huge part in Absolutely. terms of who can come to the table. Yeah. And, and, and fund studies sure. or who has the intellectual ability to search for grants that might fund these types of studies or who has the relationships mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, the, the representatives at the national level who work in the U.S. The, the, the USDA, right, mm-hmm. uh, who can fu- send money to our region to fund a farmer's market, mm-hmm. perhaps in a food desert, mm-hmm. or who has relationships with their congressmen and senators at the national level to say, you know, we need to be uh, advocating for funding to come this way to do the type of studies we need in order to 
attract the type of businesses we need because all communities have those basic foundational needs for food, shelter, water, and clothing. Absolutely. Right? And so there are businesses that thrive as a result of providing the, the, those foundational fundamental service to those communities. You see grocery stores in, uh, in every community. When there's a food desert, what happens? No matter where you live, you're going to find a way to bring food back to your community mm-hmm. uh, based on a need. When, mm-hmm. you, when you need something, you find a way to get it. So I keep going back to grocery stores because I think that's just an easy way. Oh, sure, sure. And that's it's something everybody way. needs groceries. Right. Everybody needs to put food in, in the fridge. Right, and, 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 and fresh produce. Sure. And uh, farmers, I mean, yeah. gardens and, and, and things of that nature in an area that, that is, has been identified as a food desert, which we've done, which we've done that study. We recognize right. that North Baton Rouge, large portions of North Baton Rouge are food deserts, mm-hmm. right? And so I think what we have not done and, and, and what is critical that we try to do and we must do in 2018 moving forward is go into our own pockets and begin to f- bring uh, financial resources to the table to say to entities, look, we can do this. Yeah. Whether that be a fundraising campaign, yeah. whether it be uh, having those circle around conversations with business owners, community organizations mm-hmm. in the community to say, hey, you put up 2500 you put up 2500 let's get to 10000 as quickly as we can to fund the study. Yeah. You know, a small study, because sure, 10000 sure, only pays sure, for a really small sure. study. But I think we have to start having those types of conversations. But look at the example that sets. Look mm-hmm. at the message right. that sends by having the people say, we're going to do this. Right, we can it's do it gonna, ourselves. And, and, and that, to me, is so empowering. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, I like what he said about you know going into our own pockets. I would just say, let's not go into the taxpayer's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's interesting uh, Dwight says that, Councilman Hudson says, let's not go into the taxpayer's pocket, because I agree with that. Let's encourage the taxpayer to go in his or her own pocket to pay for the thing he or she wants or needs in his or her community. Let's give them the option. Let's empower them. Let's not force them to do it through a tax, but let's empower them to do it so that they protect it, they keep it safe. In District 7, on the south side where I represent, uh, we wanted a park in the middle of Capitol Heights. We, we wanted our own individual park. So we created a parklet and members of the community came together and we built it ourselves. And we got with the city and asked for a waiver in terms of putting a park over the canal. Mm-hmm. And so now if you walk down Capitol Heights, we built and created a small little parklet is what it's called. Sure. And uh, and they and we, we there's this book called Healthy Cities. And it says that cities that have small parklets all over the city are healthier and happy cities, right? Yeah. And uh, you go to New York City right now, and you go into uh, any one of the five boroughs, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx, Staten Island, Queens, you will see parklets everywhere. And what it is, it's a simple man-made structure of benches and tables yeah. for people to walk to and sit, read, have lunch outside, have a picnic mm-hmm. all over the city. A huge one in the middle of Times Square. And and, and we wanted one in, in Capitol Heights, and we did that. It's mm-hmm. the people who did it. It was yeah. the people who said... You know, let's go into our pocket. Yeah. We went to businesses in Capitol Heights and we asked them to donate wood. Mm-hmm. We asked them to donate a few hours of time. And we had a ground ribbon cutting and we have that park over the canal. So if you go down Capitol Heights, it's a park let there. I think that's the type of energy we need. People want the same thing all over the city. Right. They want to be happy where they live and they want to have access to those type of resources where they live. And so I think we have to push people to do that. You talked about uh, earlier on the, the, the correlation between 
poorer areas of a town and crime. Mm -hmm. Last year was the worst year in the history of this parish, and particularly in the city. You know, over 100 murders. We we were almost 40 uh, additional murders to the year before. Right. Now, there was an anomaly in, in, in 16 and 15 because of the flood. I think in September, there were no murders in that year because people were recovering from the catastrophe of the, of the Great Flood. Last year was terrible. Mm-hmm. And so much so that people started to fall into this apathetic malaise of... Okay, that's that's just who we are now, which I find to be a dangerous attitude for a city to start to develop. Nobody calls the cops before they commit a murder. Nobody calls their council representative before they kill somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start there, that it's kind of unfair to say it's all on you when the criminals aren't calling you. But I do think that there are policies and things that we can do to make the probability less likely because of things that you do. Um, first, two-part question. Your reflection on how horrible the year was based upon murder. And then what can we do to not repeat 17 and 18? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the, the murder rate this year was just abysmal. Um, it was terrible. Uh, I think moving forward, the, the, the thing that we have to do as a community is start realizing that community policing um, – it's this great buzzword that we've all sort of picked up on. Uh, it is not just for the police. It is for the municipality. Uh, it's for the citizens. It it's is it's for what Councilman Cole said a minute ago. Yeah. You know, so, so when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about community policing, we often think of it as, oh, it's the police officers going and getting to know uh, the people in the businesses. They get to know the neighbors and that kind of thing. It, it's more than that. Uh, you know, if you look at broken windows theory that they did mm-hmm. in New York and that kind of thing. Uh, it has all to do with, um, you know, making sure that blight is taken care yeah. of. Uh, and for those you, not familiar, down the streets, you see the potholes. Couple decade old philosophy in New York that says if you aggressively prosecute lower crimes, it gives you the ability to head off bigger crimes. Well, it, it's more- and if you go into areas that have broken windows, the blighted properties, and how it feeds the growing, uh, I don't know what you would call it, you know, the probability of crime in an area. Correct. And kind of starts with with blight, but go ahead. Yeah, so, so that, you know, that brings me back to what I said earlier. Um, uh, those broken windows type of, type of issues are those basic functions of government. And, and so my message uh, and the way I, I look to, you know, move things forward on the council is to keep on pushing that message of, guys, we, we've got to get back to the basics. Uh, we cannot be everything for everybody. Uh, we have got to be focusing on you know, fixing our roads. We've got to be uh, focusing on delivering good trash service. I can't tell you how many phone calls our, our council office gets about uh, garbage cans being miss, missed and that kind of thing. So <laughs> we, we, we've got to go and, and focus on uh, those small things the, the things that seem like small issues, uh, but at the end of the day, when they're all being missed and they're all falling through the cracks, they end up having a, a bigger impact on the community as a whole. I'm going to take you uh, um, real quickly to an experience that I've seen happen as an educator. When, when, when there is an incident in a school, whether it be big or small, whether it be good or bad, when there is an incident in a school, for instance, if we have an assembly at school, right, on a, on a Tuesday, we have an assembly, and the kids are really excited as a result of the assembly. 
for the remainder of the day, things happen on that campus that wouldn't normally happen as a result of that activity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so what we have to do and what I tell the teachers all the time, and let's be very careful about punishing the children for acting out based on what happened because we have to be very careful if we want to prevent them from acting out, control what happens as best we can so that they don't act out, right? Well, when you look at any city that's had a huge spike in crime, it's always been a direct result of something happening prior to. We had a huge spike in crime in 17 because we had perhaps the worst year in the city of Baton Rouge in 2016, and we did nothing about that. We did nothing about addressing the trauma many of us experienced as a result. Now, the three of us sitting in this room are educated gentlemen, and so we perhaps can deal with that trauma a little bit better than one who is not. Mm -hmm. So when you think about communities where you have people who lack education, who lack resources, there's no economic development, there's no entertainment, there's nothing there for them. They live in areas where they feel the city has forgotten about them. And then you throw police shootings, and then you throw citizens being killed, and then you throw a flood on top of that, Mm -hmm. and then you take all of that away and the sun comes out and you say, go back to business as usual. Well, I can't go back to business as usual because life is not the same now for me based on everything that's just happened in my city, in my community. So what do you do when there's nothing for me to do? You do the wrong thing. When there's no right thing for me to do, I begin to do the wrong thing. If we don't start to address the mental issues in our communities, if we don't start to look at how people are suffering from post-traumatic stress and what the research says about people who experience extremely stressful events and then what happens when you start to think about people who commit suicide who act out who commit crimes egregious crimes violent crimes it typically happens the research shows that it typically happens after a stressful event we had an extremely stressful event what we tried to do in this city is address the event right we had no control over the flood We had no control over a gunman coming here and a lunatic doing. We had no control over that night of July 5th, right? Right. Those were decisions made by individuals. But what we can control is how we respond to it. We didn't respond to the people and based on their mental issues. We responded to the events. We started trying to get people back in their homes. We started trying to seek funding to help people get insurance. We started trying to build homes. Money people start going in, tearing out walls, trying to help people get back in their homes, thinking they would get back to normal. We didn't address the stress. So what happens when you don't address that? I get a gun. I get into an argument with you. I got a lot of stress. I kill you. I shoot you and kill you because I'm dealing with not having anywhere to stay, not having anywhere to go. I start using more drugs. I start using more alcohol. I start doing making all of these bad decisions and 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 one bad decision probably is going to lead to another bad decision and i think that is why we've seen a spike in murders so how do we address it now oh, and, I, I want to get to that that okay. was powerful so before before we get to addressing it your your reaction to what you just heard no i, I think you know what he's saying about mental health is is exactly right um it, it is absolutely something we've got to start focusing on um, you know i think the other thing that we can start doing is is coalescing around our new police chief um well i want to come i want to come to that because but that's that's recent because i want to specifically talk about the appointment and and the opportunity the city should give chief paul to do his job but specifically to his point about some of the reasoning or some of the reasons why we saw this this precipitous spike in murders last year 
and addressing uh, what Councilman Cole says is unresolved issues of stress and trauma citywide that led to people not being rational and just acting out in, in pure violence. And I see yeah, it in no, school every day. Sure. The the flood and the and the um, Alton everything that resulted yeah. after the Alton that, Sterling yeah. mm-hmm. shooting absolutely had a, had an impact on it. Um, but again, I, and this is why I brought up the the chief issue okay. is, is because it, it comes back to that that overall sense of, of feeling that you get about uh, crime in East Baton Rouge Parish is that uh, our leaders are, are not yet working together. We had turmoil over uh, Chief Dabity's firing mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, but I can tell you, I, I am, ex- and I don't want to get back, I know you're trying to get off the subject, but I, I am excited about the new police chief, yeah. and I think it will help our leadership uh, coalesce around him and uh, and I'm hoping that's going to be a really good thing for this period. Well, look, I, I am excited about it as well. Um, I, I'm on record as not thinking Chief Davity should have been run off in the way that he was. We well, would have ended up in the same place anyway, I believe. But, you know, ultimately you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. There's, you know, good man in the job now who deserves an opportunity to do the job with the full faith and confidence of the city. We'll come back and talk about that because uh, I know people will agree or disagree on things. But, you know. Um, it's probably more useful for us to talk about what we can do to make things better than the than to fight over things that we no longer can control. Back to what you were talking mm-hmm. about with with what you laid out, mm-hmm. um, and and I think masterfully so. The the trauma, those areas, the everything that happened. I, I want to ask you about what do we do to address it and fix it. But I do want to say this before you answer. That in cities that experienced similar incidents, the cities burned and there were riots of epic proportion and catastrophe caused by the city really just kind of imploding upon itself. That did not happen here. In 2016, we had some protests. We had a few gatherings. Nine days. Nothing Nothing graduated to the level of what we saw in Baltimore or right. Ferguson or right. or, or uh, in uh, St. Louis, mm-hmm. I believe. We didn't really have that because I think the culture of people, the quality of people here is different. I'm not going to use the word better for anybody listening for one of those cities, mm-hmm. but I'll I bet will, on. We're, we're better. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'll bet on Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge is what is I'm better. saying. So after July mm-hmm. of 16, with all the divisions, August comes and all of a sudden, people started helping their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And people from all parts of this city, North Baton Rouge, South Baton Rouge, white, black, blue collar, white collar, jumping in to help one another. To me, that's Baton Rouge. But you go back after the flood's over to the emotion that, that as you say, was unresolved. So now, what do you do to, if, if your theory is correct and accurate? How do we change that paradigm? Well, I want to be clear. You know... Through through some of the challenges after the Alton Sterling killing shooting, through some of the challenges, right? The law enforcement and the community were, were aggressively working together, mm-hmm. like really aggressively. I, I I was at many 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 of the protests, sure. and many many of the protests. Why it looked bad on social media and it looked tense, uh, and a lot of situ- a lot of times on television. The conversations happening between law enforcement and the community weren't bad. Those mm-hmm. conversations were not bad at all. And prior to uh, the the police officers being killed, th- there were 
conversations happening about a unified demonstration between law enforcement and the community. And I was in many of these private conversations being held about a demonstration like that. And then, of course, the three officers were killed on that, on that, on that Sunday. And so what happens then is everything stopped. The communication stopped mm-hmm. because it was almost as if you were forced to choose a side because of that particular yeah. incident. Yeah. In the first one, you weren't forced to choose a side. Right. Because even law enforcement, members of law enforcement were saying, listen, it's a bad situation. Yeah. And we're not saying Alton Sterling deserved to die. We're simply saying we want to keep our city safe. Right. How can we work together to yeah. make sure we maintain order and we maintain safety, right? Okay. Okay. That's Those conversations were being held. Yeah. And then once that happened, all conversations like that stopped. Okay. Cease and desist. So, how do we fix it? We have to start telling a different story. Even though we recognize negativity is happening in our city as it relates to homicides, what's the other story? What's the other narrative? How can we push as a city council, as a city, push positive demonstrations in the community? I'll give you an example. On Monday uh, for Martin Luther King, there's going to be a huge, huge community-wide cleanup. You and I were involved in some other mm-hmm. city right. cleanup, area right. cleanups. Right. When those things are happening in areas, we don't see crime happening. No. We don't see crime happening no. when the city and organizations in the city seek to do something oh, yeah. good. Oh, if yeah. good is happening, good is going to happen. Oh, yeah. So how do we aggressively push good? Because after so much bad happened, the city's not pushing good. Right. We went back to normal. Yeah. Live at 5, our regular football season yeah. game, Southern University, LSU. Uh-huh. But we have to be aggressive. After a tragic incident, we have to be aggressive in pushing positive demonstrations of good activity, mm-hmm. picnics, family cookouts. How does the city push that so that there's a decrease in negativity happening? And if we do that, think about the day we were over in Brookstown mm-hmm. area cleaning mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. There was no crime happening. Not only there that, was people coming, coming out. out of their homes to, help. to join yeah. in. We're walking in Brookstown and it's Councilman Cole. I think Representative James right. was there. Um, Mayor Broom was Mayor there. Mayor Broom was out there. We had other business leaders, DPW. members of the Baton Rouge Police Department, members of the Sheriff's Office. And we went out and we just cleaning up. Right. We didn't announce we were going to be that day we were coming. I mean, we knew we went out and we just started cleaning up. Right. Um, the city fixed some street lights that were out that shouldn't have right. been out in that area. And right. I, Rowdy and I talked about that. It's like, hey, man, you can't have areas back here right. with no street lights. And the city fixed it. DPW right. was out there that day fixing it. We didn't expect as many people to come outside and start. And by the way, the DA was out there, too. Mm-hmm. We didn't it, we didn't expect as many people to come outside, start grabbing trash bags and jumping in. They never said a word. We're cleaning. I'm going to clean, too. But that was did. the highlight of the day for me. But they did. Yeah. And we have to do more of that. And, and, and to me, that's the solution. If we force citywide initiatives of yeah. positive activity yeah. in this community, we're going to see. It's contagious. There is a respect for positive activity. No question. So when positive and good is happening in your in your community and we identify those hot pocket areas where crime is happening, where murders are happening, mm-hmm. we got to push positive activity. Not once a month, not once every three months, Often. almost every single Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Well, so I, I, I think, think that's how you I think he's it. pointing out something re- really, uh, really good there. And it, it, it's not just that you know, that the municipality is doing something positive. Uh, That is the council working with the mayor's office, Mm -hmm. uh, both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats working on those kind of things together. You know, hearing that makes me think of uh, something that uh, Councilwoman Wicker and uh, Councilman Welch are working on, the Community Police Ambassador Program. 
um, a, a great I heard about program. that, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not familiar with all that it is. What what is well, that? Well, uh, essentially, they're going to have community ambassadors that are that are going to work to facilitate conversations between uh, you know the police and the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so folks whose whose you know their role is to go out there and make sure that the the commu- the part of community policing that is officers interacting with the community is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, they have done an exceptional job on that with no mu- no budget, mm-hmm. no budget. Uh, so it's it's really a great thing that they're doing. But th- that's another example of, you know, I look at the paper every day and you would think that if you read the paper, you think that Lamont and I hate each other, right? And that we're, we're always at each other's throat. The, everybody hates the mayor. That's not how it works, folks. Um, there is quite a bit. Uh, there's quite a bit that we disagree on, sure. but there is even that's more, real life, man. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. there, there is even more where uh, folks uh, that are involved with this municipality are, are working together and trying to do positive things in this community. And, and we as leaders have to do a better job of saying, uh, "Hey, these are some good things that are going on, community. Mm-hmm. Come and take part in it mm-hmm. with us." Last year was not a good perception year for the mayor. I'm just going to say it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good year. And I say perception because there are things that happen in, 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 in a day doing the job that the public will never know about. Meetings, discussions, collaborations, all those things. Mm-hmm. Perception-wise, it was a D-plus at best. And that's mostly because of some scandal in the area of malfeasance didn't pop up. There was, uh, when the tax plan was offered up, in the southern part of the parish, people said it was too big. Mm-hmm. In the northern part of the parish, people didn't think it addressed specifically what they thought it should be addressing. Mm-hmm. Fact. And that's fact. And not, that's not me making it up. If you watch a council meeting, you heard people saying specifically that. Mm-hmm. Then the issue with the police chief, the debacle that, quite frankly, she sat in that chair and I said, why don't y'all try to work together? Because I see this is going to be a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. And we finally gotten through that and we have someone who I think... Is who's going to work in the best interest of trying to get this boat moving in, in a direction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great. And then we go to the council meetings. Some of the worst things I've ever seen took place in council meetings. It was bad, man. Mm-hmm. And, and many times it degraded into white folks versus black folks and north versus south and then just people going. It was awful. It wasn't the reflection of our city that I think we should be proud of. Hey, I'm just going to say it like it is. But I think knowing you both, that you want what's best for everybody in Baton Rouge, all parts of Baton Rouge. I really got to ask you, what the hell with last year and 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 the way that it went? Um, I think we're better than that. But why did we end up with such ridiculous displays at council meetings and then speak to some of the things that the mayor may have been doing last year that were working in a direction that we may not have even known about? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think a couple of things. I'll respond uh, a couple of ways. Number one, I, you know, we I, I personally, being an educator, uh, being around children for 20-some-odd <laughs> years, over 20 years, recognize a lot of what we saw at council meetings is a direct result of the stress we all were yeah. feeling. And it manifests itself in different ways, uh, from constituents uh, to uh, council members mm. and how we chose to address certain things. I mean, you got to keep in mind, 
you know, a lot of what happened at, at council meetings didn't happen with either of the members sitting up there. Oh, sure. As much as it was constituents yeah. and our mayor pro temp, God bless him, who has the, the incredible and almost impossible task of governing during such a stressful time. You got right? the bird flipped at him a couple and, times. And, and, I think you so, caught one too, Dwight, didn't you? Got yeah. one, yeah. And so and so what ends up happening uh, in a situation like that, you're gonna get uh, uncharacteristic behavior sure. of a city, uh, and I count like that as that uncharacteristic because yeah. that's Un- not been the, what we've oh, been. Not right. at all. What what you're referring to, and he, he alluded to it too. Uh, and it's a very small group of people that we see at every council meeting um, who have the right to be that, there. That, by that, the way, that, oh yeah, yeah. And and look, it's not just liberal folks; it's conservative folks that come up there and, and don't behave appropriately as well. True. Um, Look, you've got to understand that, that that is not Baton Rouge. That does not represent Baton Rouge. Uh, for the most part, I think that the, the council um, did a good job of, of trying to work together. There was a couple instances that we didn't do a good job at it. Um, but uh, moving forward, I, I look forward. Look, I, I like Lamont a whole lot. I find him very easy to work with. I, I've had a really good time working with uh, Councilwoman Erica Green on a couple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look, as we continue to foster those relationships, I, I think it's going to be even better. And and the reality is, a, a wise man once told me, and and again, thank you. I like I like Dwight as well. So we don't have. Here's the thing: no permanent friends and no permanent enemies in politics. Only right. permanent interests. That's right. And so you know you have to be able to sit at in those seats and govern based on who you serve and and your your and and, and what your vision is. Yeah. But at the same time, always be willing to agree to disagree. Right. Always, because oftentimes after council meetings you know when we meet behind closed doors yes. it's very cordial and yes. how we interact with each other so yes. we have to you know it's not personal i'm not mad because the white didn't vote for this item oh the way sure i wanted him to but the passion is what you want i mean you're you, gonna you, see that you, that's you, fine you definitely want a council who's concerned about it yes and but when it gets personal is when it's destructive and and so right. the constituents who who come to meetings and allow their voices to be heard. You even want that. You want oh, sure. an engaged citizenry. Absolutely. Because an engaged citizenry can then can ultimately become an informed citizenry. And that's citizenry and that's what we want. Right. We want informed citizens engaged in the process. Sometimes the information comes after the demonstration, yeah. which is not always the best thing. Sure. But I think we will be and can be a much better city as a result of some of those uh, unsightly demonstrations we saw. And I do want to say there is frustration and there is bad decisions on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when a citizen steps to that mic for three minutes, we shouldn't govern what he or she says as long as he or she is not personally attacking one so of us. So let's talk specifically about mm-hmm. that. That came up. Now. You, so the, the because that was a big discussion in the newspaper, television, mm-hmm. some talk radio shows that a lot of people were either removed or reprimanded because they would come up and they wanted to address something that was important to them in their district, but may may not have been based upon whatever agenda item that y'all were talking mm-hmm. about at the moment. The, the rules are that you have to stay on subject matter with whatever the, the council body is talking about, correct? The rules are the mayor pro temp has the authority to decide whether or not an individual is on topic or not so if someone if you're talking about bridges and Mm -hmm. in the community and someone wants to come up and either address something coming up on the agenda something that you've already talked about or something not on the agenda well yeah we can say hey we hadn't gotten to that item just yet we'll talk about that in a minute but here's here's where it gets interesting 
as a citizen, if, if we're talking about bridges and you're building a bridge and I come up and say, I don't want that bridge to be built because Alton Sterling was killed on July 4th, 5th in 2016, thus, 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 so, and I don't think we should build any bridges until we address that. That's my right to say so within my three minutes. You can't tell me we're not talking about Alton Sterling. Neither am I. I'm talking about you all building a bridge and spending money to do so, and I don't think you should do that until we invest the resources to address this. You see what I'm saying? Because here's what happened. I want to make this point. Last night, a young lady in Vermilion Parish was escorted out of a meeting because she stood up and wanted to know why was the school board paying the superintendent and not paying the teachers. And she was escorted out. And all over the national news... It was actually it, a couple days ago, right. and it was all over the news yesterday. And and all yeah. over the national news, the, the cry was she should have been allowed to say whatever she wanted to say during the public comment time of the meeting. Now, if we're going to say her being escorted out is wrong, then we have to say anyone being escorted out of a public meeting for saying whatever he or she chooses to say during public comment time is wrong. If it's not wrong, if it's wrong for any of the individuals who are escorted out of council meeting to be escorted, I mean, not be escorted out, then it was, it's not wrong for her to be escorted out. And this is a teacher in Vermilion Parish right. who was, uh, went up to want to know why the superintendent was receiving a $30,000 raise and, and teachers, teachers have not weren't. been given a pay raise. And uh, the, the bailiff or deputy in the room uh, was in front of her and then subsequently took her out of the room, <laughs> then handcuffed her, her and uh, it was a bad piece of video. And the outcry yeah. around the nation is incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we, Well, I would respectfully disagree agree with Lamont's take on that. Um, you know, you got to look at the context of, of what happened in that meeting. They were fly, flyers circulating. The saying, Vermilion meeting? No, no, no. Oh, our no, meeting no, here. Okay. The meeting All here right. in East Baton Rouge Parish. Okay. Uh, you know, there, there are flyers circulating saying that we're going to try and shut down the meeting. Uh, also, uh, I can think of at least maybe four times where, at least three times, maybe four times this year where we didn't complete our whole agenda. Uh, you know, so... Uh, when we have folks that come in and, and are, they're not genuinely there to discuss the item, they are there to disrupt the process. Uh, in terms of? Th- th- someone has to, well, in terms of, you know, the way that they can. Filibustering. Filibuster, yeah. They, yeah. they wanted to come but, and but, essentially but they stop do have, But they do have the right to be there and the council body has to hear Every person who wants to speak on an item, even if that means you can't cover everything on the item on the agenda uh, at the time that you are required to stop the meeting. No, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But but if your if your goal is to get up there and and speak off topic in order to to force you not to hear other items, uh, that's a problem. Uh, I, I think Scott was well within his bounds uh, as mayor pro tem to do what he did. Um, and it allowed us to move forward, and we got to hear the items. I think ultimately it was an unfortunate situation that we found ourselves in, uh, but I think it was the right call. I, I, I respect processes. I respect procedures. I respect the, 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 the role of government and, and, and plan of government we have in this parish, and I think if we don't agree with process and procedures, we should change it. So, you know, Scott is the mayor pro temp elected by the council at our first council meeting uh, on January 2nd of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh and he is well within his right to govern those meetings how he chooses to. I would not have done so. As mayor pro temp, I would have said you have three minutes. Don't say anything or uh, personal about any one of the members up here. You say whatever you want within your three minutes. I'm going to hold you to it. But don't talk about anyone up here. 
Don't attack anybody up here. Don't say anything about anybody's personal family members. Don't do that. Yeah, that, that, that was an issue as well. So, so if you say whatever you want to say, you can get up here and sing, you know, don't use any profanity. You can get up here and sing a Marvin Gaye song for the next three minutes. But in three minutes, I'm going to cut you off. Thank you very much. And so I would have given every person who wanted to come up the time during the public comment time. If they wanted to come up on every agenda item and say something, say the exact same thing for every agenda item based on our plan of government, because I respect processes, I would have said that's fine. Now, if I didn't like it, I would have said, you know what, let's convene a meeting and change three minutes to one minute or change three minutes to 30 as seconds. As a council body. You know, that's a, as a body, we, we have the authority to, to, to put things on the agenda and make the adjustments should we choose. However, during those types of meetings where we recognize people want to be heard and we recognize it's a small group of people, Go go with what you know. You got three minutes. Mm-hmm. Don't attack us. Don't say anything personal. Don't use profanity. And you go believe that you would know. have kept emotions more under I control? I think it would have shown a mutual respect for people's issues and concerns, uh, despite what's out there in terms of the uh, the flyers and the stuff that was being said on social media. Govern this, I'm governing this meeting a certain way with respect to process and procedure, and that's how I'm going to govern it. And I respect process and procedure, and the process and procedures of our planning government says during public comment, you get three minutes per agenda item. You got three minutes. Okay. Now, so, so I would just say the 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 appropriate process and the process that's really already in place is that any council person can put an item on the agenda. So if, if we need to have a discussion about Alton Sterling or, mm-hmm. or anything else for that matter, a uh, council person can sponsor that item and then the discussion can be had. And, and that's, that's the way to, to, to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. You both are members of the city's and the parish's legislature. So with the next question, uh, with respect to what you do, I'm, I'm not asking you to uh, predict an outcome. Mm-hmm. The attorney general is at some point, we suspect, I was on, well, I better not say that. Well, at some point, he is going to render his office's decision on the Sterling case. Without saying what you think is going to happen on this platform because of what you, who, what you do in government, what do you expect to happen if his decision is the same as the federal decision? What do I want to see happen well, or what well, do I expect well, to happen? Well, both. Both. What, what, what would you expect? What would you like to see? I don't have any expectations of anything happening after that decision. I just don't. I, 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 based on anything, explain around, anything. You know, because when you, I, expectation means that I expect this to happen mm-hmm. in the event that his decision is this or his decision is that. We know if he finds them guilty of any wrongdoing, what's going to happen. They're going to be charged criminally, whatever that punishment is going to be, it will be that. If he says there's no wrongdoing, then uh, those officers are vindicated and now the police department has the authority to say, hey, go right back to work, right? So ultimately, I don't have an expectation of anything happening because I've been let down far too many times uh, in incidents like this around the country, right? And so, but what do I want to see happen? And, and, and here's the reality of it. I want to see the Baton Rouge Police Department fire Blaine Salamone, period. Okay. Simply because I don't know what was going through his mind during that particular incident, and I am not a law enforcement person. However, in my heart, I simply believe this. 
based on the video and based on the preliminary reports we received from the Justice Department and based on when the, the press conference, when the, the, the Justice Department laid out what it saw and what it identified during those videos that we've not seen in terms of how the two officers chose to handle the situation, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made, an individual was killed, and because of those mistakes, our city suffered some of the most challenging times we've ever seen in the history of the city. And I don't think we should protect one individual from making a bad decision because he is an officer. There are hundreds of good officers in this city, many of whom are my friends. But as a principal, I had to fire a teacher last week. That one teacher made a bad decision. She said something inappropriate to a child. I think she's a wonderful person. I think she was a really good teacher. She made a mistake. But there are consequences for your mistakes. So decisions we make dictate the life we lead, right? And so I think that particular officer made a decision, made a mistake, and as a result, he should suffer some consequences as a result, and I think the consequences, at a minimum, should be he's fired from the police department in the, in the city of Baton Rouge. And when you look at most cases around the country, that happens often. Okay. That happens often. So, uh, again, I want you to respond to what he just said, but initially, what do you expect to happen? And I was, you know, going both ways. But Well, my, my expectation, re- regardless of what the decision is, is that we will continue the work uh, of repairing the bond between the police and the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, that's done through uh, things like co- the police community ambassador program. Um, I think that what the police department is doing with their new implicit bias training is good. Uh, and so, uh, look, we've got to continue those things. Uh, we got to look at some of our civil service laws and, and how that's uh, holding us back. I, I think all those discussions, regardless of what happens with the decision, have got to continue. Your response to Councilman Cole saying he believes that uh, Officer Salamone should be terminated. I want him terminated. Well, that look, you, I'm he, sorry, that you want him terminated. Right. Same goes, apples and you know, yeah, six yeah. in one and half a dozen in the other. Y- your response to that? Uh, I, like Councilman Cole said earlier, I, I'm a big respecter of processes. Uh, there is a review process that is going to happen within the police department. Uh, that needs to transpire. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, appropriate for councilmen or elected officials uh, to p- try and project their will. There's a, a set of circumstances, there's procedure in place uh, that'll determine what happens with Mr. Salamone, and I, I want to see that process followed through. The new uh, police chief, Murphy Paul, formerly of the state police, was sworn in as we re- record this interview a couple of days ago. He's officially on the job. He has been making the rounds, meeting with the heads of the different divisions of his department. We now have three deputy police chiefs. Um, I know all three men, like all three men, respect all three men. And and I think that there is a good vibe around Chief Paul as he begins this journey. Not many of us, I mean, like I don't know a whole lot about him. Um, I expect at some point in the very near future that he and I are going to have a conversation. But your impression of him uh, as as the chief the new chief, and then what do you expect from him based upon what you have seen and heard from him so far? So my, my impression of him is, is very good. Um, I had the opportunity to meet him uh, whenever we, uh, uh, earlier in the year, the, the mayor attended church services with all the different council people. Mm-hmm. And so we happened upon 
uh, now Chief Paul. And so we got to chat with him a little bit. Um, I, I checked into his record a little bit whenever I found out that he was on the short list. And uh, look, everyone that I've talked to that, that's worked with him at state police or worked with him through state police and different agencies all had really, really good things to say about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at his resume, it's a it's a stand-up resume, it's a stellar resume. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm excited. I think that he's going to do some good things. Um, and look, it, just like you said with his deputy chiefs, uh, it, to, to come in and, and make those quality of, of hires yep. on the third day in office, yeah. I think he was, you know, um, it, it shows a lot of good things. So I mean, you're talking uh, about the, an interim chief who was in communications and IA, mm-hmm. Robert McGarner, who is widely respected across the police department, mm-hmm. and Herbert Annie, affectionately known as Tweety, mm-hmm. who worked with the Brave program and who has been in communities. And, you know, those three men and the, and the, it, the, the synergy that they seem to already have, I mean, that was a very good, and the, re, the reaction from the crowd in the chamber when he announced him was, wow. I mean, mm-hmm. all to the affirmative. But your impression of Chief Chief Paul and what you expect. Well, I think Chief Paul... Because you already put one thing on him you want to see happen. Well, I mean, (laughs) here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I said what I want to see happen. I don't expect it. That's why I said I don't have any expectation. I am not going to be disappointed in Chief Paul if he doesn't do what I want him to do. Follow me? Mm -hmm. But you ask what I want. Sure, sure. But here's the thing. I I, I respect our new chief. Think he's an outstanding individual. Uh, Really respect... That he's a single father raising four boys and has taken this as a responsibility to lead this city. I think the move he made in naming those three individuals as deputy chief says something about who he is. Mm -hmm. That he does not have an ego as it relates to doing this work because he could have seeked to drag that process out. He could have said, I'm going to identify what he did was very quickly come in, identify who are the individuals in this department people respect, love and want to see do this work. He picked somebody competing with him for the job. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And then took his idea because at the interview, that's the very same idea Magana said he would do. He would create three deputy chief positions. And so uh, I, I think those moves right away is going to help him earn trust from the men and women in the department. But the one expectation I have of any chief of police, particularly here in Baton Rouge, is that he's fair in dealing with the men and women he has to lead because that is an extremely challenging job and those men and women deserve to have a leader who is going to treat them fairly, mm-hmm. right? And then very fair in dealing with the community when there are issues, when issues come up and be transparent in how he's going to Well, that's a word that we hear a whole lot them. now. Because transparency, you know, oftentimes when something happens in the uh, police department in many communities, there isn't a lot of transparency in terms of what is happening. Discuss what you can legally. And be transparent in your discussions, what you can legally. Don't be afraid to say, you know, we're un- it's unfortunate this happened. Um, I hate it happened. And I wouldn't want to see anything like this happen. I would not want to see, you know, young men and women be pulled over unfairly and arrested for small issues. I would not want to see cops in the community doing things they shouldn't be doing. That's not what we want to see. This particular cop made a, a, a mistake and we're going to address it appropriately. I can't get into the details of how it's going to be addressed, but we're going to address it appropriately. So I think starting with Mayor Broom using a process like this in terms of selecting a new chief and then the chief being as transparent as he's been in the first four to five days, what is this, the ninth, and send the nine day to 10th, the 10 days that he's been the chief. He's shown us that he's looking to lead and follow the men and women, and he's looking to be very uh, 
visible in the community and he's looking to be extremely accessible. We've seen him on the news. We've heard him on yeah. the radio. Yeah. We've seen him out at community events. Yeah. I mean, his very first day after being named chief, the first thing he did was went to a basketball game here in the city. And so I think uh, he's off to a good start. But we won't know until something controversial oh, sure. happens. Sure. And I think that he's he hoping he never be. gets that chance. Yeah, yeah. There's always a chance. I, I know, right? But you know, we we've had yeah. we've had a gut full of controversy. Gentlemen, infrastructure. We cannot stop this conversation about without talking about infrastructure mm-hmm. here in the parish. If you've lived here for any period of time, you can predict where the water will rise right. when it rains for more than 25 or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know the streets that you can't speed through because the potholes are going to just mess right. up whatever you're driving. And the areas that you know need expansion. So we know the need is there, right? What do we do about the crumbling and really antiquated infrastructure of what would otherwise be a growing parish? Well, so I think that, you know, a couple things come to mind. Uh, number one, I read an article recently where they're looking at doing what's called pilot program. Uh, and it's a, it would be a new bill at the state legislature. But essentially it would be uh, a, somewhat similar to ITEP in that you'd be able to go to some of these larger companies, uh, let them prepay their property taxes, mm-hmm. uh, and then in order to go ahead and take that money and apply it towards infrastructure. Uh, is that a silver bullet? No. Um, but it is a chance for us to, uh, to, to get you know, some of those dollars. Uh, when we talk about infrastructure, uh, we can talk about strategies. and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, People are routes. tired of hearing about we can, it. We can talk about plans and using data, but at, at the end of the day, if we don't have the money, then well, there no it is. talking. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I found, an interesting discussion that I found in my district as we were doing the, the uh, BTR road tax plan the mayor had, um, Flat out, my, my district does not want new property taxes for roads. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it, it's not something that they'll entertain. Um, but I, I was, I was interested to hear because I, I, I thought the opposite uh, of this. Um, I thought, I thought their reaction would be the opposite. As we had that discussion uh, about the BTR plan, there did seem to be a little bit more um, openness to a gas tax. Um, so my understanding is that uh, moving forward, windows closing though. Well, moving forward, the, the way of the, that a gas tax might would work uh, is a different way of doing it before. I did not like the way that the gas tax was proposed uh, in the state legislature in the last session. But if it were to be a regional tax, um, and, and, and that way the, the money is tied to you know, just the capital region, mm-hmm. to certain projects, that way you remove the governor's ability to sort of use projects and, and attach strings to them. Uh, you know, that was a major concern for a lot of folks. Um, I think that there is somewhat more openness to it. But we have got to create a, a, a sense uh, among the taxpayers that when we say we're going to use this money to go to roads or to go to infrastructure or whatever we tell them it's going to go to, that, that it actually goes to it. Um, that would be what, good. What taxpayers are finding is that as we continue to do, and I know I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's the best example that we have right now, when we continue to do things like the Council on Aging uh, and, and other taxes like that. <laughs> I'm going to have to come back to that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, a, it's an important issue, especially out, out in my area, you know, where they, they, we pay a lot of property taxes out in District 9. Um, you know, they want to see that their money is being spent appropriately. Um, and so we, as leaders, have got to make sure that we are, we are making sure that happens. 
I think from an infrastructure perspective, the first thing we ought to recognize is it's not a small town anymore. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a population of over 500,000, almost 600,000 people here in this city. Um, with all of the development that is taking place in the city, we are attracting more uh, visits to this city mm-hmm. than, than, than ever before. And we have to start thinking more like a big city instead of a small town. Which means? And I think those conversations have to happen. There's no reason why we should not have a loop in this city <laughs> that allows for easy access. The traffic in this city That'd is horrendous. Uh, Cato and Bozier have three. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, we have an antiquated uh, model for a public school system. We got to start thinking about doing that differently. Yeah. Um if we change the model of the school system, there are going to be more people who move to this city, and that's going to be even a bigger problem with traffic. So I think as we start having these conversations, we have to come to some consensus on, you know, I think if the the, the local legislation, the council and the mayor were to have a retreat where we sat down and we really start talking about vision mm-hmm. of a city of Baton Rouge, what we all can agree we want to see in this city. Yeah. You know, let's remove all of the other stuff that sure. has happened and start talking about going forward a vision for what this city looks like mm-hmm. in terms of roads, in terms of infrastructure, economic development, a widening of the highway, yeah. a loop, school system. And then we sit down and we really have a very robust conversation about yeah. vision. And then we look at the budget and see where money is being spent on things we don't want. Yeah. And then talk about how can we shift those dollars around and spend them on things we collectively do want. Right. Yeah. Because as Dwight said, the people who live in District 7 want the exact same thing as the people who live in District 9 want the exact yeah. same thing. I think what we have to do is be very clear on how we provide them with that using the, the, the generated monies we have. And the last thing I'll say is this. We have to be very deliberate in how we engage business and industry in their investment into this community other than just being here. We have to be very deliberate in how we engage them. Meaning? Since the ITEP conversation began earlier in 2017, I have been contacted by a number of industry businesses talking about what they already do in the community. And I've, and I've said to them, using Exxon as one, they gave me a list of things they're already doing in the community, the partnership they have with local businesses and uh, smaller businesses in the community, the job training they're doing. And I said to them, why doesn't anyone know? Why doesn't anyone know what you're doing in the, in the community? Why doesn't anyone know the type of investment you're making in this community? So our assumption is that Exxon is making $360 million a year in this region, and then there's no investment into the city. And it's not my job to tell sure. the community no, what no, you're doing. Right. It's your job to yeah, do that. Absolutely. And then... When we talk about what the city needs and the investment businesses are making based on receiving exemptions, what does that look like? How do we what do we want that to look like? Because they're going to make an investment. They're going to make an investment into our city based on the exemptions they're getting. We need to be able to dictate what those as a legislation, as a legislative body, we need to be able to dictate what that looks like. So, in other words, if you want this exemption, and you're going to make investments in the city as a result of it. Here's what it should look like for us. You know, Greenlight had success for you know the period that uh, when Kip came into office, mm-hmm. he said what he was going to do was basically it was it was a remarketing of the pothole tax, mm-hmm. and right. he just rebranded it, right? And said that he would do some things with it. And within that first four to five years, people started to see extensions and and some road work done. It was he hit very the ground running. And so because of that, when it came back up for renewal, people supported it. They didn't love the Audubon Alive 
portion of it, but they supported the infrastructure part of it because they said, okay, we've seen what you've done with our money, so we know we need to do more. Let's ride this a little bit further. Using that as a model, not saying because, you know, since then the sales taxes has gone up, mm-hmm. property values in some areas have increased, so people are spending more for property taxes. The CATS tax was passed after mm-hmm. all of that started. And now, you know, Dwight references the, the Council on Aging tax. So lots of people are saying, okay, let's find a solution without a tax. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, if you scrub the budget, let's be honest, you're only going to be able to find so much money. Well, it's a really important point that you bring up, um, you know, because at the end of the day, like you say, it's it's it, we know that we know the solution to the traffic problem. We know what roads we need to build. Yep. It's all about the money. Yep. Uh, you look at our budget, um, you know, there's about 70 percent of it that we basically can't touch. Right. Um, and then 55 percent of the general fund is tied up with public safety. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get down to it, I mean, there's really very little uh, there's really, there's a lot of that. Don't get me wrong. There's fat in our budget. Mm-hmm. It's there. But a lot of it isn't but, discretionary. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not money that we can go in and, and cut. And, and that has been, um, sort of the MO as, as we've, as we've thought up things in this parish that we need. Uh, we have this distrust from the taxpayers. And so they want to see a dedicated tax in order to be able to pass a new tax. Um, look, I think that's absolutely the wrong way to go. Um, we, we've got to make sure that we're providing the basic services mm-hmm. uh, and then beyond that, uh, you know, everything else is land yap. Uh, but what, what's happened is that now we've got a great park system yeah. we've got an overfunded council on aging. Uh, okay. we've, got, we've got, well, well, I'm giving you an example. I know, I know I keep on going back to it, but, but, um, you know, the fact is that, uh, we are not able to do those basic functions of municipality well, uh, because, We've got the money dedicated in other places. What about sure. what about the council on aging? Uh, let's let's talk about that. That I, came up. I, that I, came, I, 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 you know, I supported that tax yes. simply because I think we have an increasing population of elderly people, and I see it every day um, who need our help. Uh, just last week, uh, when we were out passing out blankets to the elderly and making sure we did as best we could to provide them with uh, support so they could remain warm in, in this community. I think if we don't take care of anybody in the community, we should take care of our elderly. Um, and so I supported the tax because I know there are many, 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 many elderly people who did not benefit from the Council on Aging who now will be able to benefit from those resources. And so I supported uh, that, that tax um, and, and think the work the Council on Aging is doing is, is phenomenal in terms of work, working with our elderly here in the city. Um, of course, we took some hits. You know, we got beat up pretty bad for, for choosing to support it. But, you know, again, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent interest. And yeah. I was interested in making sure the elderly is taken care of, particularly when it's personal for you. There are five members of my family who benefit from the Council on Aging around the city of, of Baton Rouge, excuse me, around the parish, who live in the parish, who take advantage of the resources that are, are, are provided by the Council on Aging. And I had three who were not able to. Now, you may not have been able to pick up on this, but um, I think if you listen closely, you'll be able to tell that Dwight did not support that tax. <laughs> so so well, let's I, talk about why. Know, the, the problems at the Council on Aging are well documented. I don't think we need to rehash all that. Um, you know, I think moving forward, now that the tax has passed, we've got to make sure that the dollars are being spent as, as efficiently as possible. 
Um, so I agree that, with that. that. That is why we decided, you know, the, the biggest fundamental problem with the Council on Aging Tax was that there was really no accountability. They're, um, they're their own taxing authority. Uh, they have no board appointments even from the, uh, from the Metro Council. So uh, the one thing that we can do is, is control their millage at the beginning of every year. Um, so look, we've got, we've got to keep a close eye on them. That's why I introduced the item to, to uh, pass some transparency measures with them. Some of the items passed, some of them didn't, uh, but we've, we've got to keep a close eye on them and make sure that they're you know, going to do a good job with the money we're giving them because they, they've got a lot of money. I will agree. Uh, you know, dollars should be spent in, in the most efficient way. I, I will agree with that. Law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this will be the, the, the place where we wrap things up and just because I want to cover as much as I can. And as you know, people use podcasts over long periods. And I have a couple that I listen to that run over three hours and it just takes me a week because they're weekly mm-hmm. shows. But I enjoy them uh, and because I can listen to it when I have time. Law enforcement, the, the big issue coming up this year, the chief referenced the fact that the mayor approved funding for more cars because we had some cars mm-hmm. damaged during the flood. And then some cars have been kept in service when they have basically outlived uh, you know, their time for the efficiency that, that they require. We are short officers, mm-hmm. and we have not had full academies. Congratulations for, to the 34 members in the academy. Absolutely. Right congratulations. Right. And so there are many issues. A number of them start with funding, what we are paying our officers versus what the state police just got and what we see other officers not very far from here getting. And then just modernizing equipment, you know, everything. How do we address that on the heels of the conversation we just had about infrastructure and saying there isn't money to do that? How do we address the Baton Rouge Police Department and being able to put resources into it to not only get the best and the brightest, but to take care of the people who are currently wearing a badge for this city. Yeah, I think the the most important thing that we can do is take a look at our budget, um, go through and see what millages that are dedicated have too much, and and investigate what we can do to undedicate some of those dollars. Um, I don't know that we'll be able to do it with all the different millages, um, but uh, look, it's high time that we reprioritize our spending here in this parish. Um, and dedicated millages are a, a big problem with make you know with with actually making that happen. Uh, you know, I do agree. We're going to have to redistribute funds in our budget to assist with giving our officers a raise. But the uh, the reality of the situation, and, and and here's the simple reality: if we're going to have a 21st century police department mm-hmm. here in this city, at at a certain point there's going to have to be a tax pass in order to provide those officers with the type of raise they need and or provide the department with the type of money it needs to give officers a raise to attract the best and the brightest right. at some point. Do I think now is the time? No, not at all. I don't think now is the time to propose a tax for that raise. But I do recognize at some point what we're going to have to really evaluate uh, what that tax would look like, yeah. uh, a dedicated tax, what it would look like, and then um, the renewal of that tax uh, from year to year based on the performance of the, the the police department, much like the school system has. Well, there was one proposed recently. And today. We're voting on it tonight. Yeah, today. and so you're, you're, you're going to be voting on it today. today. What is your, and I know that by the time a lot of people hear this, it will have already happened, but w- what's your prognosis on on or your prediction on how that's going to go. 
Well, I don't know. You know, on the council, it's, it's about seven votes. I don't know if there's seven votes to support it. I can't personally support why that tax today, simply because there are too many unanswered questions. But here's the biggest question that hasn't been answered for me. As an individual with 20 years next week in the school, 20 official years in the school system mm-hmm. as a certified teacher, I'm very concerned about my retirement and what that looks like, right? And I'm very concerned that so many more educators who are a lot older than me have retired and the, the retirement fund is depleting. So what is my retirement? across the state. Exactly. To give the, the officers a raise now through a tax without some clear understanding of what the retirement is going to look like is just irresponsible right now. I don't think we've done a, a serious enough evaluation of how that money is going to be used to ensure those men and women are protected in their retirement, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, we want them to keep the city safe now, but we don't want them to become crime contributors later because they don't have enough money to live once they leave the department. And we've not taken a serious look at what that's going to look like in terms of using a tax now to give the department a raise. Not That's the number one issue for me. Of course, there are other unanswered questions. We don't know what's going to happen with the lawsuit with Alton Sterling. We recognize in every situation like this around the country, there's been a a pretty large payout to the family in incidents like this. We recognize that because an individual was killed. We also do not have uh, any clarity in terms of what's going to happen with the police union contract. I think we need to have some clarity on that. I think that needs to be hammered out prior to talking about a tax for police. And then at the end of the day, we just got a new chief 10 days ago. I think he needs to be highly involved in those conversations and bring a plan to us. Bring a plan. He is the chief administrative officer of the police department. Bring a plan to the mayor and bring a plan to the council on how those monies and dollars are going to be used if, in fact, they are given. And they, they need to push a campaign for it. I just don't think now is the right time. So for those reasons, I cannot support it today. However, I do think at some point we will have to pass a tax, a dedicated tax or a millage in order for those to get the type of raise they need. Well, Clay, by now your listeners have probably caught on that I'm a fairly tax-averse person, especially dedicated tax-averse person. But, but you know, if there ever was a, a dedicated tax that I would support, it, it probably would be for uh, police and fire and EMS pay increase. Um, I haven't said that. After looking over the, the limited details that we've gotten about the proposal, I, I can't support it either. I definitely share uh, Lamont's concerns about the retirement system. Uh, the other <sighs> thing that, that um, I have a problem with is uh, – you know, whenever I'm going to ask a, a, someone to pay a new tax, I want to be able to tell them that I'm going to do exactly what, what the goal is of, of passing the new taxes. Um, because 55, because, the, because the, the money that the police department currently gets comes from the general fund, we can pass this new tax. There's nothing to prevent a future administration or a future council from redirecting that money. Um, so I we don't necessarily and that would be problematic that would be very problematic we don't necessarily uh accomplish the goal when we yeah. do that the other problem and this is a, a very very significant problem uh is that this tax will end up if it goes on the ballot will be on the same ballot as the three platoon police tax if you're not familiar with that tax it's a tax that has been uh levied since um I mean, several decades yep. it's been on the been on the books for a long time uh, Louisiana State Supreme Court case mm-hmm. came along that says uh, we, you know, have been levying it incorrectly, and so we have a, a we've placed an item on the ballot uh, to to serve as sort of a stopgap if we don't win the state Supreme Court case. 
Um, so we need to be able to continue to levy that tax. Uh, I am very concerned that uh, voters will go to the polls, see these two items that if you read them, they, they look very similar. You've really got to get into the details to figure out which one is which, uh, and then vote them both down. Um, and, yeah. and that would be extremely problematic for the police department. Wow. And I and, and I agree. I agree that 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 tax is going to be on the April election and we need that one needs to pass 100 percent. You know what I mean? And so we don't need to muddy the waters with something that is not hammered out in the most uh, complete way. So we have a clear and firm understanding of what's going to happen with those dollars. So I think we have to be very smart about that as well. What do you want to see from Baton Rouge? Last question in this and this year. What, what, what are you hopeful for as a, a member of the council, something you're going to be pushing for that you want to bring forth as legislation or an opportunity? And then overall, as, as, as a city, when we're sitting here 12 months from now, you want to be able to say we accomplished. You know, this is going to sound crazy, but here's really my, what I want to see. And here's the vision. As elected officials, I would love to see those of us who serve on the council and on TV every week. Uh, on opposite sides, do more things together hmm. in the community mm -hmm. uh, at large. More positive activities from us as a body at Setting large. the example. Setting the example for what we want to see from our constituents. So if that means the White and I host a family day in the park or a family picnic or a, 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 a music event or yeah. a concert, yeah. us working together and the media covering it in a way that suggests here's all the good that is happening in our city. And so while they're on opposite, completely opposite ends of the council on aging, today they're saying family is important. Yep. I mean, I think the whites, my wife is pregnant and your wife just had a child, correct? No, it's, 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 Mid-February. Yeah. Right, and my wife is due in July. So we want a safe city mm -hmm. for, our, for, for, for our children. We mm -hmm. want a city they can grow up in and be proud and, and be proud of their parents. And we need to do, and I want to see us do more together to say to the city, we're better together than we are apart. I don't think, and I don't know if I've ever seen a council in the city do that. Mm -hmm. And it's very simple. Mm -hmm. We could host nights at TJ Ribs, pick a restaurant, and say, hey, tonight bring your family out from District 9, District 7, and we're just going to eat. We could pick restaurants to patronize in various districts, but do more things together. I love and that. then have the media cover those yeah. events, do more cleanup events together, pick yep. areas we're going to, and then start promoting and yeah. Pushing that, I guarantee you, we'll see a decrease in crime. And I'm going to push more of that. I appreciate you being out there with us. When, yeah. You know, it, and but you already you're always out in your district anyway. Mm. But the cleanup thing was, man, it Huge. was fantastic, and we're going to do more of it. So, but yeah, you, same question. I'm all for that, and I'll certainly never turn down a trip to TJ Rivers. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, it's I, in my district. I had to give them a shot. <laughs> they, they take care of me in my district. Yeah. I have two significant goals that I, I'd like to accomplish this year. Uh, number one. Uh, I want to see us make some significant changes to the UDC uh, as it pertains to floodplains. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that is extremely important. Um, in, in that same vein, uh, we have got to create some efficiencies within DPW uh, to make sure that the backlog on clearing some of these ditches and roadways uh, is, is done in a more mm -hmm. timely fashion. Um, and then number two, uh, I want to take a very close look at the budget. I want to take a very close look at the dedicated taxes find out legally which ones can we undedicate, mm -hmm. rededicate with, with lower, more appropriate millages. Um, and I'm not just singling out the council on aging. <laughs> uh, but, but we have to take a close look at that so that we can get 
some of this money to uh, the essential services like roads and bridges, mm-hmm. police pay, all those other important, really, really important issues uh, that have been plaguing this city for decades. And at the, le- and at the national level, I want to see uh, Garrett Graves recently told me that the $600 million the they are asking for for the Comet Diversion Canal to be completed and some of the uh, funds for recovery and rebuilding in the city is passed so that we get the type of support mm-hmm. from a national level we need in order to do some of this work. I think if the Comet Diversion Canal is completed, that would be huge, take a huge weight off our shoulders mm-hmm. in terms of floodwaters perhaps coming to the city. Thank you both for making so much time to come sit in and, and talk with us and just reflect on last year and visions. I, I appreciate your honesty and man, thank you all so much. Thanks, Clay. Thank Always you for having me. It's Manners in a Minute presented by Manners of the Heart. Finally, the day came my sons were old enough to mow the lawn. I explained the process, started the mower, and went back inside. A few minutes later, they came in clearly frustrated. Chad explained, Mom, you can't just tell us how to do it. You have to show us. He was right. Telling children isn't enough. We have to show them. We have to coach them. Cheerleader parents tell their children nice things and stop short of offering guidance. It's not your fault you failed or forget about it. You'll make the goal next week. But if you coach your child, you will teach your child what is needed to achieve success in life. Children need guidance through our actions and examples as well as through our words. Show your children through your own hard work and practice that victory stems from how prepared we are. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. That's an example of a couple of guys getting together and having a conversation. And it stayed civil and even in places where they disagree, you heard why they disagree and you can make up your own mind on whether or not you agree with one side or the other. But I think, you, I mean, just the way they go about discussing these serious issues for me was important and impressive. And we're going to do it again. I hope to have them back at some point to talk more about the city. Maybe we'll do it at the end of the qu- end of the quarter, going into second quarter to get their grade for the first quarter of 2018. I do wish the new chief well in his journey as he begins as the head of the Baton Rouge Police Department. I hope for this city a better year than we had last year. Uh, It was disappointing in, in a lot of ways. The crime was just unacceptable. And here's hoping we can do something to address that. I mean, I think there's there are big issues that the government can't address because these are issues facing people in their homes as it relates to parents being able to be involved. And that's a larger discussion for another show. But I'm hoping this year will be better. I said in the body of the interview that perception-wise, last year was not a good year for Mayor Broom. Am I hoping that the mayor and the city move positively in the right direction and that we can get more done this year? Absolutely. Am I rooting for her failure? Absolutely not. I, you know, I believe when you root for leadership to fail, you're asking for trouble. 
So do I want her to be successful? Do I want her to do a good job in running the city and bringing business here and attracting the best and the brightest and you know being able to do something about infrastructure and all of that? Absolutely, I do. I think you, you can't say you're serious about wanting your city to be great and then root against its leadership. Have I disagreed with her on some things? Yeah, I have. And I've been honest about that. And she knows the things that we disagree on because I've said them to her. But ultimately, I want this city to win. And so I'm hoping that we will be able to do that. And I've extended an invitation to the mayor to come on and talk about last year and her expectations for this year. And, and we'll see what happens. Hopefully that hopefully she'll decide to do that. And we will be fair. Obviously, I've known Sharon a long time and we can have a candid discussion about what we can do as a city and what her game plan is. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll see what happens. So I appreciate you spending this period with us, the conversation with the councilman, and really just checking back into the show. We are at episode 147. Can you believe that? 147 episodes, working towards 150, trying to secure something big for that episode, which is just around the corner. And hopefully I'll be able to let you in on that really, really soon. But until the next time, thank you so much for listening to The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. While you are around, check out The Waiting Room Podcast by Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue, Gastonal now, right? And Katie Fetzer, soon to be Dr. Katie Fetzer, right here, The Waiting Room Podcast. It is a discussion on the various aspects of mental health, things that people can do to deal with with things, identify some things. They are tremendously brilliant ladies. And if you don't believe me, just listen to the show and you'll pick that up for yourself. But I appreciate what they do and am proud that their show is here on podcast225.com. Y'all have a great one. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.